for me, what I found the biggest increase this year is really just the excitement that I can approach each rowing session with. And, um, as much as I can make each day feel a little more special or find kind of the silver linings, find the energy I can put into the group and then I can receive from the group is uh, for me where I found the most boat speed. And I, I do think part of that is because knowing this is the very last year of the Olympic double, which means it's the very last year of my elite rowing career adds this extra layer of excitement of how special this sport is to me. Hey guys, Hannah Donnelly here for another episode of On Her Mark, a podcast where we sit down with female athletes, fitness professionals, and women in sports to learn their stories and their why, all in an effort to find inspiration and celebrate those blazing trails for the next generation. If you can believe it, we are just a few months away from the 2024 Paris Games. Athletes right now are in the depths of training. They are prepping for trials and all that must happen before they officially head to France. Today, you're going to meet a woman who is top of the top. She competed in the 2020 Olympic Games and has her eyes set on Paris. Her name is Michelle Saxer. Michelle is an American rower competing in the lightweight double. And this is a really monumental year for her and the sport because it is the last Olympic Games where the lightweight category will compete. Michelle has rowed on the national team for 11 years. She earned a bronze medal at the 2011 Pan Am Games and placed first just this past year at the head of the Charles Women's Championship singles. Michelle is an athlete through and through. You guys, I absolutely love talking to her. You can tell that she is carried by her love and passion for the sport, and she is so attentive and committed to the minutia of training and improvement. If you look up the definition of a growth mindset athlete, it is Michelle Sexer. <laughs> Today, we talk about all of that. We learn how she stays motivated through the hard workouts. And trust me, some of those two-hour erg sessions can get very hard. She talks about what she's focused on this training cycle to leave the sport at the top. We also dive into race day and how she's learned to go to a flow state to compete. And finally, we wrap up by talking about lessons learned in Tokyo, what she's using from that experience to help train for trials and eventually Paris. All right, you guys, this is a really fun conversation, a lot to take in. So please welcome Michelle Sexer to the On Her Mark podcast. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Hannah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to take the time to talk about rowing and the Charles and all things as we look towards Paris 2024 Olympics. This is a really exciting time and you are already, you're out West. You are gearing up for, uh, for Paris. So tell everyone where you are right now and what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm currently at the Colorado Springs Olympic training center. Um, our U S team here is doing a high altitude training camp. So we do three weeks of very intense training, a lot of indoor rowing machines called ergs, some hiking, a lot of lifting weights, working with the sports med team to make sure our bodies are really strong, resilient, and ready to go. Because as soon as we wrap up camp here, we really dive into the Olympic selection process down in Sarasota, Florida, and it's pretty much nonstop go, go, go race and select the athletes who will represent team USA in July and August. 
this is, that's like a whirlwind. I feel like that's so much. I've been following you, your, your training on Instagram. And it's so fun to see, like, to see what you guys are doing because it's, you know, you're on the erg, but then you're hiking. And it's like, you don't necessarily think that the rowers are hiking to train. It is. And, um, so we are doing a ton of indoor erging right now. And it's, it's a lot. I mean, you're strapping into this erg two hours, twice a day. And for me, what I learned because we did a similar camp last year is really managing the mind. It's a little bit mundane. You know, I'm staring at a wall for two hours. So finding a way to kind of, um, keep myself really engaged and really delivering high quality practices when we are on the ergs. And the best way to keep those high qualities every once in a while, take an afternoon to go run up the mountains. Yesterday we did a hike called the Manitou incline, which was great leg day. And it's still hard, you know, it's still very hard. Heart rates are up, but, uh, need a little bit of excitement just to mix it up and make sure that the, the very arduous work we're doing that is very rowing specific is high quality. Absolutely. And you've been on the national team for what, 11 years now? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, my first team was actually the Pan Am games um, in Mm -hmm. 2011 in Guadalajara, Mexico. So um, after the Tokyo Olympics, I I made the lightweight double there and made the decision that I really did want to come back for another cycle and see if I could improve on that result. So I want to, I want to dive in here. Cause we were talking about it just before the lightweight double. This is a special year for that boat class because after Paris, it will no longer be, it will no longer be a sport, right? This is the last go at it. And so it, this is a really special one. First, can you describe, uh, what is a lightweight double for those who don't know? And then how is that, that news that it, it the class won't exist after this year hitting you? Yeah. So the lightweight double as a two person boat, it's sculling. So we each have two oars and we compete where each athlete weighs 57 kilograms. So about 125 and a half pounds. And, um, it's the only Olympic boat class for lightweight. So there is a quad, a four person boat and a single, a one person boat, but at the Olympics, only the double exists, which is great for me. I love the double. It's such a fascinating partnership. Um, in the single, you know, it's all you, that result, it's yours. You own it wholly. You own the losses wholly. Um, the quad, you know, four people, it's much more of a crew, but the double to me, it's just this really fun boat. It's like a relationship. It's like a marriage that, um, you know, learning to kind of be a yin yang with your partner, learning to meet them where they're at, whether it's mood or energy or goals or how they kind of approach their, their training sessions. So I love the two person boat. It just, it's a really neat, um, combination. So that is the Olympic boat class and they, the the governing body FISA did announce that they would be removing it from the Olympics after Paris. And we knew this was coming down the pike. You know, there'd been murmurings. It's obviously not a, a fast process when they make decisions like that, but even though I knew the news was coming, it still, it did, it hit me pretty hard the day they announced that it's officially removed after August, 2024. And while I am sad that that boat class is going to go away, mostly because you see incredible races in the lightweight doubles, everyone is the same size. No one is, no one's really bigger, you know, in terms of mass, the athletes are all the same size. So the margins you see in racing are so tiny. For example, at the Tokyo final, it was 0.9 seconds separating first place and fifth place over a seven minute race, you know, over 2000 meters. And so you get these beautiful races where it comes down to just the last few inches at the, at the finish line, or, you know, who, who was able to save just a little bit of energy so they could ramp up their sprint. And I think when you level the 
playing field by size, by body weight, it really puts emphasis on the art of racing and when you light your matches, when you make your moves. And so for me, just uh, it's such fun racing to watch. So while I am sad they're removing this boat class from the Olympic program, it's also really exciting to me that this is going to be the grand culmination, the last time this boat class will ever exist. And the boat class has gotten faster and faster and faster year after year. The world record was broken in 2011 and 2014 and 2016. And it keeps, you know, these, these small women weighing in at 57 kilograms, keep finding improvements in speed in our sport and lightweight double. And so I really think that this, this last dance, this grand culmination of the lightweight double is going to be just a, a brilliant um, display of what we can do. And I, I love what you said in there, that it's the art of racing. And I read recently when you're talking, you competed in Tokyo and you have, you set these big goals as an elite athlete, as an Olympian, you set these big goals, but the Olympics comes every four years for you guys. Right. So it's not like if you were just to put off this, you know, going from Tokyo, your next goal is Paris, then that's great. But there's a lot of time in between. And I read recently that you talked about kind of like the marginal, improvements. And when we're talking like tenths of a second and or seconds in a race, because the level, the playing field is so level in this training cycle, Michelle, what have you been focused on? What are those marginal improvements you have been focused on? You're so right, Hannah. And they are, they're tiny. So for example, my doubles partner, Molly Reckford and I raced a world cup this summer and we were battling it out with great Britain back and forth all the way through the last quarter of the race. And we ended up I wouldn't want to say losing. We came, we won silver, um, but we lost to them by eight hundredths of a second. You can't even blink that fast. You know, you can't even snap your fingers that fast. So for people to understand how much work goes into me making sure that I am eight hundredths of a second faster next time I go up against that boat class is it's a year's work. It's actually a year's work. And there are so many pieces to this puzzle that play into boat speed that, um, it's really exciting for me. So it's not, you know, at my age, so far into my rowing career, there aren't huge breakthroughs in terms of, um, oh, suddenly I can, you know, go splits I've never seen and reach incredible new heights, but it really is devoting things to, if I can row, if I can keep my oar in the water for two centimeters longer, every stroke, you know, how much that can increase our boat speed. Um, and so then there are times like this where we're in, an indoor erg training camp that if I'm on the erg for two hours, I really am thinking about those eight hundredths of a second and how, if I can use my levers, if I can use my, my, um, hip drive just a little bit more than my upper body drive, just because the lower body is a bit stronger. If I can keep that angle just a little bit more dynamic for, um, the last few inches of the rowing stroke that that improves my split by one second. And, um, so it does feed into itself, finding th these small little areas. The biggest thing I found is, you know, the training stays pretty similar from year to year. There's about a, I think it's like maybe 10% increase in volume and intensity throughout the Olympic cycle. So that the four years of the Olympic cycle do build on themselves. We're not just fully obliterating our bodies for four continuous years. It does kind of stack year after year after year. So that the fourth year of the cycle is, um, obviously your, your fittest, strongest, best rowing self, and you shouldn't be able to sustain that for all four years. But, um, what I've really found this year in my 2023 season was very successful. I was able to have some personal records on my erg scores and, 
uh, like you mentioned, winning the head of the Charles was a huge win. Um, Molly and I took a silver medal at World Cup. Mary Jones and I took a silver medal at World Championships. That that was a really good year for me. And I I, I say that humbly. Uh, a lot of work went into it and a, a huge team behind me supporting me. But um, the biggest change where I found that increase in boat speed, I think, was the joy and excitement that I can actually approach the training with. And there is a lot I can do, you know, in the weight room, on the ERG, with my biomechanics, with our physiologist. But for me, what I found the biggest increase this year is really just the excitement that I can approach each rowing session with. And um, as much as I can make each day feel a little more special or find kind of the silver linings, find the energy I can put into the group and then I can receive from the group is uh, for me where I found the most boat speed. And I, I do think part of that is because knowing this is the very last year of the Olympic double, which means it's the very last year of my elite rowing career adds this extra layer of excitement of how special this sport is to me and how much I've devoted to it. Um, and it, it almost just makes you savor it a little bit more like that last bite of dessert. So <laughs> like that last bite of dessert. Well, and I think that's so important to enjoy the journey and that's not always easy to do, especially when you're, you're saying, you know, that, that the training, it really comes down to repetition and it comes down to small, uh, small, consistent changes. It's hard to sometimes find the ability to stay positive or find something to be grateful for, even if it is that painful, hard workout. Um, so how do you do that? <laughs> a lot of hard workouts. You're very right. And it, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, people talk about this a lot, I think in sports psychology, that sticking with routine, um, is where motivation, motivation is not always there. I don't wake up every single morning thrilled to go strap into an indoor rowing machine and stare at a wall for two hours. But, really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in the summers, it's easier on beautiful rivers and lakes. It's a little harder mm -hmm. in the winter months, but, yeah. um, sticking with the routine is huge. And I think that's for someone at any level of their sport is really staying committed to your routine and having nice achievable goals along the way so that, if you set these little check marks, you achieve them and you feel that momentum build. And now you're excited. Oh, I hit that one. Great. Let me see if I can go just a little bit more and a little bit more. And, um, that for me is the easiest when I have a really great team behind me. So an interesting thing that changed for the U S lightweight double in the past year or two is that we became what U S rowing calls a camp boat before we were a trials boat, which means in order to make the Olympic team or the world championship team, you show up to trials, sort of like track. If you win, you've been named to the team. Now we're integrated into a camp system where they bring a full group. They'll bring a lot of women together and you train, you compete, you try different combinations and lineups and sit in different seats. And then a selector or the coach decides who the fastest boat is. And um, I really enjoy the change in selection process, but part of that is because I get to train with a group of women and, um, I'm not just off in the corner training, you know, with my partner kind of working in the shadows to prepare for this big trials race. But when I can train in a group and really, like I said, pour that energy and excitement and motivation into the group, you receive it back. And so if the days I'm feeling good, I can put it out there for my teammates. And then the days where I'm struggling, I receive it from my teammates. It really does you feel it almost like if you have ever been in a choir or sung in a church and you feel those voices sync up and reverberate through the walls. To me, that's what a really powerful connected training session is like. If that's mm -hmm. with the women I'm in the boat with or with the boats, you know, if we do uh, interval work with many boats across and we're all doing the pieces together that 
you can feed off the energy around you and it, it lifts everyone up. And I think that can be the most special and powerful part of sport is how it connects you with other human beings in a way that you don't always get to experience humans in, a, in that way. I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's sport does such an incredible thing where you don't think you have anything left on those bad days and your teammate pulls it out of you and you want to look at them and be like, how, how did you you get that? But you come to know these people so well, you know, what makes them tick for better or for worse. Right. And I know I'm, I'm happy that you brought up the choir too, because I know that before rowing, you were more into like the performative sports, right. And activities. And it wasn't until rowing that it really got the competitive side-by-side racing part of things. So, um, when you're out there on the water and you're in a race, so, you know, you're talking about this summer with going back and forth with Britain and, and what, uh, goes through your mind on the water in those high stakes moments of competition. Mm, yes. What goes through the mind? There's so much. And, it is funny to look back. I, I almost forget that version of myself sometimes when you bring up um, the more performative hobbies I had early on. I was in a musical theater, like a Broadway dance. I played a lot of instruments, doing concerts. And I did love that feeling of being up on a stage. And if I could really practice, you know, the number, the dance, the song, whatever I was playing, that I loved how good it felt to kind of share that and show that for the audience and provide, you know, that experience. And once I began rowing in high school and now competed in my first sort of side-by-side competitive start line, finish line racing, I loved what that felt like to get to go up against competition and in the heat of the battle, decide to push a little deeper and find a little more. So rowing to me is actually a combination of those two. And while I do train, um, you know, training, there's like, you have to come into training with, you know, leave your ego at the door, a place of humility when I'm well-prepared and I've put in the work and it's race day, I'm on that start line and I'm feeling good. There is this excitement, this power I feel kind of build in my belly. That's like, I can't wait to show these people what I'm about to do. And so that's, I think the, you know, the performance-based side of me and, um, in the heat of the battle, it's, it's been years to really work on this, but to learn to race from a place of flow state where my mind is actually incredibly quiet. Um, there's not a lot going on. You sort of zone out any externals, for example, on the Tokyo start line, NBC, there were so many video cameras in your face and there's drones that are flying over your head and you see the camera, you know, the huge lens comes right up into your face on the starting platform. Um, so really taking the mindfulness to practice almost blurring out that whole background. Mm. And when I can do that and then be really mindful with what do my feet feel like in the shoes? Like, what does the oar feel like in my hands? What does, you know, sitting on the seat feel like I'll turn around to Molly on the start line and give her a fist bump. And she knows I'll give her just a silent nod of my head. She knows that means I'm ready to pounce that when I block out the whole world and I, bring myself inward to those senses. It's, it's a very special place for me to exist there. And so when I'm doing my best, I can race in that same place. And in the moment, even though, you know, my heart rate's at max, it's 185 <laughs> beats a minute. We're rowing at you know, 40 strokes a minute. Everything is moving so quickly. We're six boats across. You're trying to manage. I've got two boats to my right and three boats to my left. And everyone is making attacks and sprints at different times, but when I can really keep that quiet presence and that mindfulness, it's like, 
it all slows down. And, um, it's almost like racing in slow motion that I could, you know, keeping my thoughts really quiet, um, simple words that are just flowing through my head, almost like a mantra on repeat while I am simultaneously pushing my body through this absolute, yeah. uh, treacherous pain. It's, um, I love it. And I, I think it's such a special thing to experience that, uh, you know, if you talk to most athletes, it's probably a similar kind of flow state where it's mm-hmm. a, it's a really special way to kind of feel your body exist. And there are panic, there, not every race is that beautiful, right? There are plenty <laughs> of panic races where you, you, maybe you overpaced a little aggressively in the first half. And now you see the field of boats collapsing in on you. And it's like, oh, oh shoot, oh shoot, oh shoot, oh shoot. I have to go, go, go. Um, and so just being able to kind of respond, keep yourself quiet. It's like, just breathe and push, breathe and push, breathe and push is usually kind of what's going through my head there. That sounds so meditative. And I'm sure it's not easy in those moments where, uh, where you see someone passing and you're like, trust the process, trust our game plan, our strategy. We have like, you have to, you know what you're doing. You trust, you trust in your teammate. Um, but I'm sure there are times where you're like, do I trust in everything right now? Right. Yeah. And there are absolutely, and there are times where, you know, if talk about like when Molly and I are racing at the world cup, like there are times if we've sat down and we've come up with a great plan with our coach in the middle of the race, some races, you have to throw all that out the window. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was our goal to be internal and relaxed, but you know what GB and Italy and Canada, they're they're starting their sprint early. The field is going and we're getting dropped. And so if I'm in the bow seat, so the bow seat is typically responsible for making the calls. They're kind of like a coxswain back there. Mm -hmm. Um, Molly and I've raced our lineup both ways where she'll stroke or I'll, I'll stroke, but I'm thinking back to that world cup in Italy where we had to go early and there's so much trust that has to exist between Molly and I. So if I say the field is going, we got to go now. I make the call in two, one, two, ready up. And she'll lift the stroke rate. She'll start the sprint. And um, that's trust that like, I wouldn't call our sprint early unless it's absolutely go time. And it's either now or never. And, um, and she'll just give it again, a silent nod of the head. I'll feel her go. And so it is, you know, you have to be such a chameleon through these experiences that, um, sometimes you have to go when you feel, you don't feel ready or it feels too soon to start sprinting, or maybe your base pace has to be a little more aggressive and exhausting than you ever practiced. But, um, the more we race, I think the better we can kind of adapt in any situation. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. The racing is honestly, I mean, you could probably feel I'm getting chills just talking about it, but it's, it's the best part of all of this, all of this. And just, um, through these winter months, thinking about those moments or thinking about the tools or the cards I want to have up my sleeve on race day is kind of what gets me through it. I love hearing you talk about this one, because you can feel the passion, but two, you're, you're such an athlete in the, in the, (laughs) in, in adopting a growth mindset. That is such an important thing. And hearing you talk about that, someone who is so good at what they do to know that there are moments, there are moments in the moment where you're like, I'm just going to pivot here and I'm going to do what I need to do. And I'm, I'm prepared to get feedback from others and all of those things. Um, so I'm loving, I'm loving this conversation. I do want to talk about the head of the Charles you raced for the first time this year. What in nine years you were back on the Charles. Yes, I did it in 2014. So still very early in my sort of elite rowing career. I did not do very well. I struggled with the course. I hadn't really rode on the Charles before. Uh, too much. And um, I love going as an event, but as a spectator, I was like, oh, this is, or sorry, as a racer, I was like, oh, this is overwhelming. I, <laughs> um, a so I did it's take a, a big hiatus. And um, but yeah, this year I knew, again, I was, 
uh, having a lot of fun racing this year and felt excited knowing that, um, the head of the Charles and Brendan had put the prize money on the table is very new for rowing, right? So rare. Do you get to line up with, um, some money at the end? And the point of the race wasn't the money, but I knew that the money would draw in the absolute best talent from around the world, from around the country that all of the USA sculling women would be there. And so it was kind of a chance to go up against them because when we race our trials or our speed orders, I'm, I always race as a lightweight. I compete as a lightweight, but we don't get to race directly against the open weights because they'll do those as separate events at trials and such. So, um, knowing that the best women in the country and a few of the best women from the world would be racing. I was like, this is a chance I actually get to go up against them. (laughs) And you did so well. I love, there's a video of people are listening and haven't seen the video of when you finish someone's like, how'd it go? And you were like, well, I think I won. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's the hardest part about head racing. So, you know, head of the Charles where you start and it's yeah. single file time trial, you finish and you have no idea. And that anxiety, it's too much for me <laughs> because, you know, in side by side racing, if I'm down, if I'm losing by like a foot or just a, you know, a little bit, we call it like I'm down by a seat. Mm-hmm. I can dig a little deeper and push to make sure my bow is in front of my competitors. But in a race like the Charles, you don't know, mm-hmm. and it's good and bad. So in some ways in the final sprint, you can just, I'd say like sprint from a place of animal panic. Cause you're like, I might, I might be down a seat right now. I don't know. Um, but it is hard. Yes. Yeah, so I crossed the finish line. I knew it was a good rhythm. I knew I'd been pretty fit going into it and I had a lot of fun. Um, luckily some of my teammates who were in the women's eight and not racing the single were on the shore. And I just heard them start screaming. And I thought, I think that the best mean I did well. And I paddled <laughs> over them and they threw their hands in the air and they said, you won, you won. And it, it was such a fun moment. Um, someone on one of the docks as I was coming through the, the final bit of the race yelled like, uh, Michelle, you're winning, but you have to go now. And I, Honestly, I actually closed my eyes. There are also some photos on the internet of me literally with my eyes closed and this awful grimace on my face. But um, in moments like that, I do actually take myself back to like a world championship. And I thought about Mary and I racing um, the sprint at the world championships, September, just a few months prior. And what were like our mechanical cues for a good sprint? What were the changes coach was, you know, writing me about to make sure if I can hold these changes through a sprint, I can make better power. And so when they said, uh, you're winning, but you have to sprint now, I closed my eyes and I pictured the world championship final and tried to make my, you know, get my body to really deliver power the way it was there. And so it, it came out. I mean, Emma Twig is the most decorated, incredible single sculler. And I got to watch her in Tokyo just obliterate the field and win a gold medal at the Olympics. So I have so much respect for her. And I, I was so starstruck to think that I, I won the race just because I was like, wait, but I'm a twig, you know, yeah. these, these women that are almost like posters on your wall that you just look up to. So it was, it was fun. And um, experiencing the head of the Charles as a spectator is so great. Like you've been, it's a reunion, it's, people it's from all the years. Wild. It is like so it is so cool. I will tell you, um, and Amanda who connected us, I have now have covered before the event for maybe four years. This was my first year going, <laughs> I had always been out of town. And so this was, I saw it and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And it's huge. Even seeing like the sheer size of it, right. The bridges are aligned. Like you don't even see the, the arches of the bridge because no. they're just dots of people. And, mm-hmm. um, it reminds me that 
especially on the national team, you know, we train in such a, a bubble mm-hmm. that um, the breadth of the rowing community is profound. Mm-hmm. And everyone from the, the the high schoolers to the masters to, and I believe you interviewed a woman and she was the oldest yes. competitor. Oh gosh, you're going to quiz me on how old she was. I want to say she was in her nineties, which is incredible. And, and they almost there's... counted her out. I do. I will say they were like, she's like a hurt hip. And they were, she was like, they didn't ask me, but I wouldn't miss this. <laughs> I love that. And see, that's incredible that that whole, that whole range of people that are just excited to show up on this beautiful river in beautiful Boston and just test themselves to see, you know, how fast they can go. It just, I loved it. Cause it's so grounding in, okay, I can stare at this, this July slash August goal I have of next year mm-hmm. so much, but being grounded in like, what a fun sport and everyone in so many different places in their life just gets this enjoyment from playing in boats and playing in the water and just mm-hmm. testing ourselves. It's like, it's such a cool event. And, um, I love that. Well, it was a great, it was a great race for you. And I'm, I'm so excited about that. And I'm so glad that this past racing season has been so positive for you, both in, in, a, you know, achievement, but also in mindset, um, as you look to, toward this summer and to, you know, qualifiers, trials, things like that, are you bringing any lessons, uh, from Tokyo that you, you know, things that you learned there, uh, that you're, that are, you're using to help you move forward? Absolutely. I mean, Tokyo was such a learning experience. Um, the racing was incredible and it was fierce. Like I said, that the margin of the final itself was tiny. And, um, the biggest thing I think, so one, I think Molly and I really surprised ourselves with the speed we were able to go at the Olympics. And in our race, we broke the world record was broken in our semifinal. And so I guess you could say we, um, were the fastest American crew that had ever gone then. And so I think I almost wish I'd known if you'd known you could go that fast, it doesn't work this way, but, yeah. um, I didn't know Molly and I could go 641 in the double, right? Like that was, wow, that's so fast. And it's almost like, now that I know that we can do it, it sort of removes this limit of like, you know what you're going in training and there are pragma- prognostic splits of what you should be able to go, but you're always able to find a little bit more on race day if you can really, really just commit to it. And um, so I think knowing that, like knowing there's no there's no cap and that the world record was broken in Tokyo, I suspect it probably could be broken again in Paris so that there's there's it's limitless is a little bit what that feels like. Maybe the US lightweight double could be the fastest a lightweight double has ever gone and break the world record again. And that's not a preposterous thing to dream about. Mm-hmm. Um, the other huge takeaway, like I, I keep talking about these small margins is as we've been practicing just how to race in that cool, calm, collected state of mind, even though it's a completely animalistic like endeavor to, to push yourself that hard. But if you can keep a little bit of your cool while you're racing at this absolutely lethal pace, I think you're more likely to be able to pull out the win in the sprint instead of anyone who's getting tense, anyone who's panicking when the field starts to go. Um, any sort of fear or doubt that creeps into your mind, the more I can practice that positive monologue, you know, as I'm going through really hard workouts and my legs are screaming and they're like, stop fool. You're killing us. That I'm like, no, ask me in 10 I'm racing mm-hmm. that like the more I can deliver that monologue to myself, the more I can practice being really stoic and unfazed by any sort of chaos that goes into the races mm-hmm. is how I intend, you know, should I make the Olympic team and should I make it into the Olympic final that that is the place I want to race from, because I know it's where I can really deliver some lethal blows. So it's, um, 
I really, you know, as Paris selection is still coming up, but the ability to get to go to a second Olympic games, I hadn't fully considered, you know, what that's like to have done it. And now it's like, okay, now how can I do it better? And that's like, I think why it's been a fun little game to, to explore. It's like, you already crossed that one, one barrier, so to speak, right. That one goal, but now it's like, all right, I've, I've done it. So what's like, what's possible now? Yeah. Um, and it is the first the like, it was such a special thing to achieve as well. And I, I know you interview so many female athletes and we probably talk a bit about like our younger selves. Like mm-hmm. if younger Michelle knew that she was going to be an Olympian someday, oh my gosh. Like, I don't know that I would have believed her, but it almost chokes me up a little bit to think about like, I was just a kid that learned to row in high school. And I, I liked that it gave me a fun friend group and um, we had good times on at regattas and stuff, but um, to kind of if. I don't want to downplay it, but to have checked the box of like, mm. you're an Olympian, you made the team. It's really fun going through athlete processing and the kit and you're in the athlete village, you meet all these other Olympians. It's a really, really special thing to experience. Um, and now with the hope of doing it again, it's not just about the experience. It never was, you know, I'm too much of a racer to say like, oh, I'm just there for the experience, but it's so much not just about the experience. It removes the fear of failure because we've done it. I've made it. I've made the Olympic team. I've made the Olympic final. I went in a race that where the world record was broken that now there's this almost fearlessness of, I, I feel, I almost feel this like devilish grin come on my face at the thought of there's nothing I could do that. I think I would really feel like scared to do Mm. at the Olympics in terms of the training or the racing or how aggressive I could be with the pacing. And that's, I really would love to to obviously come out on top through Olympic selection, because that's just, it feels fun to have removed so many limits. Mm -hmm. So. I love that. I love that. Um, Well, we're wrapping up here and I'm going to ask you my final question, which I ask everyone, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but is there a mantra that you lean on um, to get you through hard days? Oh gosh. Uh, One mantra. There are so many. Um, The biggest one that comes to mind is life is attitude and a dear, there was a dear friend, a master's rower at Vesper boat club in Philly, where I used to row. And when COVID first hit, she started saying that to me and it, it really, it's so short and simple, but it made me realize, um, how much in any circumstance we can just choose our attitude. And there are rainy days. There are cold days. There are windy days. There are workouts that your body is not up for. And the more I can really just lean on the attitude that my approach to it if I can somehow turn myself to the excitement of it, almost like you're waking up on Christmas morning, um, it changes everything. It changes everything you experience in the sport from how much fatigue and lactate and pain you feel to how you interact with your teammates and um, kind of coming into that, like ride it on your heart that every day is the best day of your life, waking up and showing up to practice, just thrilled to get to work and trying to be better. Um, that the life is attitude piece. Yeah, that's that's a big one for me. I love that. I love that. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for, for taking the time and we are rooting for you. We are rooting for you at trials. We're rooting for you in Paris, um, all of those things. So, uh, last tell people where they can keep up with you and, and, um, support you. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I'll start with the basic one on Instagram. I try and share a little bit of the journey as I've learned, especially some high school and college athletes love to engage and ask questions, everything from what it's like to be in a weight class athlete to the racing. Uh, my Instagram, Michelle Sexer, 
We also have a training center one, Women in the Boat, which takes a, a sort of zoomed out look at a lot of the women's eight, the women's four. We all train together in Princeton, New Jersey. Yeah, follow along. Michelle's passion for the sport is palpable. You guys, it was so cool to learn about the intricacies of the sport and how she's approaching this training cycle. I loved learning how joyful and fulfilling this season has been for her and how she's carrying that into training now for trials and hopefully Paris. Michelle, we're rooting for you. Bring it home. <laughs> all right, guys, remember you can stay locked in on all things on her mark by following MBCS Boston. And I'm over at underscore Hannah dot Donnelly. And if you're loving these conversations, please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, share it with a friend, post about it on social. It helps us so much to keep bringing you conversations like these. All right, that does it for me today. I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.